Welcome to Best Thoughts, everybody. I'm Rick Johns. And I'm Will Johns. And today we continue our summer fitness series by talking about emotional fitness. And so, Rick, I've got to ask you right off the bat, how are you feeling today? Um, I'm fine, Will. Fine. You, you, you sound like you've possibly... I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess there's a lot going on, man. You know, you know how it is, but uh, I'm okay. I'm good. Uh, you know, a lot of stress. Life is what it is. But uh, anyway, are we going to do this episode or not? Well, uh, we, we got to do it, but it just kind of sounds like you may have got something bottled up there. So anyway. Will, this is, you know, this is, I don't know how many times you have to keep pestering me like let's just do the episode obviously i'm fine if i wouldn't say i'm fine if i'm not fine i think i think he might be about to blow what i am not about to will come on seriously we're gonna edit this all out because (laughs) i am telling you i'm fine and if i say i'm fine i'm clearly fine and everything's fine and there's no problems Whoo, man sounds like a classic meltdown I'm sorry, Rick. I'm sorry I uh, I poked the bear today. I just was wondering how you felt. <laughs> well, actually, Will, I was just acting because I'm a great actor. And that was an example of bottling, bottling up our emotions, which is something that actually I can be pretty good at at times. And I think all of us can. Well, and Rick, we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes uh, about how that happens, how that works, and and what we could do about it. That's why emotional fitness is so important. So I'm excited about this episode, Will. Tell us, uh, what what are we talking about today? So today we're going to be talking about the book Emotional Agility by Susan David. And and this is a fantastic book, one that uh, I would highly recommend uh, to our listeners, if you if you really want to take a deeper dive into emotional fitness, this book is fantastic. Emotional Agility by Susan David. I think you can buy it wherever books are sold. It is the best book I have ever seen on emotions. And I think understanding emotions is so important. It's such a huge part of our life. And I think most of us really don't understand them. We're not really quite sure, and they overwhelm us at times, and they definitely move and motivate us and sway us. And I think just really having an understanding, a basic understanding of emotions is powerful. It absolutely is, and it gives us tools and resources and ways of dealing with our human journey that we don't have when we ignore or don't pay attention to our emotions. And Susan David gives us some great language to help us wrap our minds around what's happening to us emotionally. And she starts off with the concept of what she calls the hooks. Yeah. And and she says, this is when you accept thoughts as facts. Mm. I love that she put it that way. I just think that's perfect. When you accept thoughts as facts which they are not. You get hooked. And we (laughs) talked about that last week, Rick. Yeah, that was part of our mental health or mental fitness episode. But with emotions, it's very easy 
for the emotion to just hit you and you just take it as reality when it's not reality and there's a space and that's what she's starting us to head us towards. And she came up with four hooks, four hooks that we kind of get caught on in our emotional loops that kind of keep us unhealthy. So Will, why don't you tell us what the first hook she mentioned? Yeah, so the first one is very simple. It's called thought blaming. And that's when somebody says, I was going to speak up in the meeting, but then I thought no one wants to hear what I have to say. And so I didn't. Hmm. And so because a thought goes through your mind, you immediately act on it without space to analyze the thought or consider whether the thought is true or not or, or helpful or not. Yeah. And so thought blaming is simply the exercise of, you know, I didn't take action because I had this thought. Yeah. And our fears and insecurities are great at jumping in the minute we're about to do something important or vulnerable or risky or something that takes courage. So it's easy for a thought to kind of jump in there and just sabotage you right before you're about to do something that probably would be for your best good or your own health. Well, and, and you can see how this gets in the way of our values, you know, because yes. if the value is to have great relationships. And then I tell somebody, you know, I, I was going to buy you a nice gift, but then I thought you might not like it. Right. <laughs> See how that it can become a barrier to positive action Yeah. when we get stuck in this thought blaming. Yeah. And when you're single, I was going to ask her out, but then I thought maybe she, maybe I should do it later or maybe I should, maybe she would reject me. So I didn't do it. And then yes, the girl is like, why didn't he ever ask me out? <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's like, it, it's just like some of those uh, movies that you watch, Rick, where you could tell the two people like each other, but neither one will admit it. Yeah. It just puts you onto the edge of your seat like, somebody say something. Please, please. It's so obvious you like each other. <laughs> Get out of your heads. <laughs> exactly. Take the risk. <laughs> but but it's it's easy to see that in someone else. It's harder to see this in ourselves. Right. And then the second hook that she mentions, she calls it, monkey-mindedness, mm. and that cracks me up. And she talks about how our minds and our thoughts can just go from one to the next to the next, and usually in a negative pattern. And so like a monkey swinging from tree to tree. So you have the first thought, oh, you know, I don't know if I should ask her out because she might reject me. Oh, she probably really doesn't like me. Oh, because, you know, I've got a really big nose. Oh, and I... I haven't been going to the gym and, oh, I'm not really that likable anyway. And you just keep swinging from awful thought to awful thought uh, and it gets worse and worse. In fact, she has this great phrase. She calls it awfulizing, that mm. we tend to awfulize in our heads. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that that monkey mindedness is all about past and future. Mm. So it's, it's really anything but the present. So yes. the, the mind races to the past. Oh, this terrible thing happened. That means it'll probably happen again. And then races to the future and imagines a worst case scenario. Yeah. And in this hook, this has got to be one of the more destructive hooks yes. that uh, we could get stuck in. And I see it all the time for me, just reading about it just made me laugh and, and see inside myself because it's so easy for my thoughts just to start going from one to the next to the next. And they just run away with my mind. 
And next thing you know, I'm way at a different place than where I started and and a way more awful place. So, yeah. and And there's two consequences to these hooks. One is that it moves us farther away from reality. Yes. So we're not seeing what's really in front of us. And two, it moves us farther away from our values, from the things that matter to us. Yeah. So we start acting in ways that are not who we want to be. We, we become people that we don't like. Which feeds more awful thoughts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's a, it can be a vicious cycle there. Yeah. So what's the third one, Will? Yes. Yeah, so the third one is old, outgrown ideas. Mm. And so this is like having an old script for new circumstances. Yeah. And it's kind of the idea of being stuck in the past. It's kind of like, it, this reminds me of, of a funny story, Rick, when, when I first started pastoring. This was 20 years ago. I'm fresh out of seminary. I moved to Knoxville, Tennessee. And guess what? One of the first things that I had to do was, see if you can guess. Uh, buy a house. <laughs> that was that was one thing that I ended up doing. But before oh. I did that, um, I bought a physical map. Oh yeah, a, those phys- days. Anybody remember those? Some of you are too young <laughs> to remember. I bought a physical map. Huge paper that all folded up. Yes, <laughs> hard to fold them back once you unfold them. <laughs> this one was like a thick book. Yeah. It was like with a with a spiral binder, and it it was crazy. But I was using that, you know, to try to go visit members and get to the hospitals and stuff because GPS was was really not a common thing. We didn't have smartphones back then, and and so this concept of the map reminds me that sometimes our old outgrown ideas are like using a map from two hundred years ago. Yeah. To try to find your way in a modern city. Yes. It just doesn't work. Yeah. It's a barrier to where you want to go in life. Well, I think all of us can fall victim to this because, especially if you've lived a little while on this earth, as you have, Will. Uh, <laughs> but Are you saying I'm old? <laughs> I, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying you've lived a, a while on earth. But our old outgrown ideas that maybe solved something in the 90s or helped us in the 2000s may not be relevant or helpful in, you know, the 2020s. Yeah. We have to allow ourselves to have new ideas, new thoughts. I remember a Friedman in one of his books talking about how we have the treadmill effect. And the treadmill effect is when we just keep trying the same thing over and over and getting no results. Yes. And so we do tend to do this, it's very common, and we need new information, new ideas. And so I encourage anyone, when you're stuck in a fear, insecurity, in some sort of thought loop or something you just can't deal with or handle, talk to someone, Google ideas, Google, read this book. (laughs) Susan David's book might help spur new thinking for you and you go, oh, there is a solution here. There is a win-win here. And sometimes, Rick, just taking a new action yeah, can for free sure. our minds from the old rut. Because these old outgrown ideas are like ruts that our mind returns to and falls into over and over and over again. And so, yeah, doing a new action or thinking a new thought yeah. uh, can kind of 
help break us free. But but Rick, there's one more hook that that we need to understand before we move forward. Yeah, she comically titles the last hook "Wrong-Headed Righteousness." Mm. <laughs> Wrong-headed righteousness. If you've been in the church for a while, you've probably seen this one. <laughs> yes. Uh, there's a lot of wrong-headed righteousness, especially in religious circles. But it doesn't have to. You don't have to be religious to suffer from this ailment. And this ailment is when you're so concerned about being right that you cannot see the reality of the situation. Yes. You have to prove that you're right. Everybody else is wrong that you didn't make a mistake, that you did exactly what you should have done or the only thing you could have done. I know for me, I suffer from this in my perfectionism because it's hard for me to admit I really blew it or I made a big mistake or mm. I should have done something. When, I, when in my head, I was doing everything I could and then someone points out, well, you really should have done this or you really should have done that. It's very easy to get that defensiveness and get stuck in those loops about how right I was and never listen to the valuable piece of reality that may confront my rightness. Well, and what I've noticed for, for me, Rick, is I justify my rightness by how much I suffered. So yes. <laughs> so someone points out, like, I'm doing it the hard way, and why, why did I do this, or that was not effective. And I'll, I'll angrily respond, do you know how hard that was? Do you know how hard I'm working? You know, like, like they're questioning my work ethic or something. Right, you know? right. And what they're really just trying to point out is that there's a better way and I yeah. need to open my mind to it. Yeah. It takes, it takes humility. Uh, it takes a commitment to reality. Uh, to get past this hook, you know, because this hook really wants to to see myself through my lens and force that onto the reality of situation that my right way is probably right for everybody and everybody needs to see it my way. And of course, you can imagine this becomes a very unhealthy hook that, that really can hurt relationships. Uh, I think I've caused myself a lot of pain in relationships because of this, because you just have to be right and you don't want to see or hear anything that might suggest you're not. You know, Rick, I, I like to ask myself this question because I think it's really valuable in dealing with this hook. And that is, do I want to be right or happy because I don't get to be both? <laughs> and and it it's amazing because there's times when I'm like, I don't care about happy. I just want to be right. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I'm so entrenched in this one that I... I'm willing to throw my own happiness out the window. I saw a great uh, video, uh, TikTok or whatever, uh, on this, and it showed a guy smiling, snuggling into his pillow. And it said, the caption read, I finally won an argument with my wife. And he's all happy and smiling, and he's snuggling in his pillow. And then they zoom back, and he's sleeping on the sidewalk out front of his house. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, there you go. You going to sleep on the sidewalk, or you can be right. <laughs> so that leads us to two things that we kind of hinted at at the beginning, two ways that we repress or negatively handle our emotions. And the first one is the one that I demonstrated with my great acting skills, <laughs> bottling it up. Do I have any bottlers who are listening to this podcast today? I'm sure we do. 
Will, tell us more about what it means to bottle our emotions. Yeah, the, the bottling is a way of trying to control emotion by stuffing it down, by bottling it up, by repressing it, by ignoring it, by denying it, by running away from it. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like, I don't have time to feel my feelings. Right. So I'm going to figure out a way to stuff it. Yeah. As a long-term practice, basically what you're doing is you're pressure cooking your emotions and eventually they're going to erupt like yeah. a volcano. Yeah. Uh, you're going to blow or she has the term emotional leakage or they leak out yes. in very unhealthy ways, usually like passive aggressive kind of ways. Like maybe you're you're feeling overworked and you see you come home and your spouse is relaxing and watching TV and you say a little snide comment like, oh, it must be nice to be able to relax, you mm. know, and it's like that's that's bottling because you're resenting someone else's healthy processing of their feelings. <laughs> yeah, I think it can come out in a lot of different ways, you know, not just passive aggressive, though, that's the main one. I think even addictions. A lot of our emotional unhealth uh, with our relationships can be because we've never dealt with some of these emotions. And so we can never get too close to someone. Or when we get too close to someone, we kind of, you know, end the relationship or do something to hurt the relationship. There's just a lot of weird ways. And, you know, the sad thing is, Will, I think we're kind of the last person to see it in ourselves. But yeah. it's pretty easy to see in others. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So we all have friends that we go, oh, yeah, they're, they're just like this. Or they, you know, this guy, he just never can make a full commitment in his relationships. Or, you know, this woman, she's just always, you know, well, putting her it, husband down because of this or that. Rick, I've, I've got some great stories. I'll just share one of them of, of guys that I've played sports with mm. that were bottlers. Yeah. And there's nothing like sports to, to, to create the eruption of yes. the volcano. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So I was, I was, it was, this was, I don't know if you remember this, but you and I were playing golf when we were teenagers mm. with a friend of ours. And uh, <laughs> he hit the ball into the lake. And for whatever reason, that was kind of like the last straw that, <laughs> that lit the fire of the volcano. And he just lost it. And he started cursing and swearing uh, words that at that tender young age I had not heard <laughs> before in such a combination. <laughs> yes, yes. And, uh, and then threw his club into the lake, you know, for kind of the final yeah. dramatic exclamation point. Yeah. And needless to say, it was quite awkward after that, uh, <laughs> after that moment. <laughs> awkward for everyone. And he lost a good club for no real reason. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what bottling will do for you. So we need to be aware of bottling. And of course, we're going to give you a few things uh, to help with this. But the second thing we need to be aware of is brooding. Yes. So brooding is another way of unhealthy way of processing our emotions where we just kind of wallow in them. We can't let go. We kind of get caught up in the emotion. Again, treating the emotion as if it is a reality and the negative uh, vibe of an emotion as if it is the be all end all. 
and has the final say. And, and what happens with brooding is it's a circular process. And I think the image of a hurricane is actually perfect way, a perfect way to understand this because each time a hurricane cycles around, it picks up more force. Mm. And, and each time we cycle around on the same thought, it gets stronger and stronger yeah. and stronger and stronger. And so we go from having someone make a suggestion to us at work to believing that we're going to be fired from our job and homeless on the street, you know, in the next couple of days. Like the, that brooding just escalates yeah. everything. Yeah. And so you could see how destructive that can be. Exactly. And instead of accepting the usefulness of negative emotions, that they're trying to tell you something useful and helpful, you wallow in them and accept them as the reality, see everybody through the lens of that reality. And suddenly that hurricane is doing some major damage in your life and your relationships. Yeah. Like there's very simple ways we can benefit from feeling and acknowledging our negative emotions. For instance, if I'm feeling envious of another person, that's telling me that I want my life to be better in some way. Mm -hmm. and, and I can harness that energy to make better choices in my life or to move myself closer to goals that I have for me. Yeah. If I'm feeling sadness, it's a key that, that maybe I've lost something or, mm -hmm. or gone through with something difficult and I need to give myself some care, some self-care, some self-compassion. And, and maybe if I'm feeling anger, it's just a, a reminder that I need to set some boundaries yeah. uh, with certain people. Or I'm feeling powerless, so I'm going to throw my club in the water and cuss, <laughs> cuss out everyone on the golf course <laughs> to show I have power, but... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, maybe, but it, maybe there's a better way to, to get, get in power. tune with the actual powerness, powerless feeling and say, yeah. you know, this is telling me I need to take powerful action. Yeah, you know? I need to make some changes. Yeah, for sure. So all of those, I think, are very helpful to understand and just be aware of the ways that we can get hooked in emotions and stuck in emotional uh, places without being able to have the health that we want. So Will, what are some of the unhooks that we can have to unhook us from some of these loops? Uh, great question, Rick. And it starts with the basic concept of just showing up. You know, you, you say a lot of times to, to people that are in groups and organizations, like showing up is always the first step. You know, yeah. if you don't show up, we can't do anything. So showing up to your emotions means acknowledging them, recognizing that they matter, that they're important. And so one of the one of the best ways to do that is to simply accept what exists right now. Hmm. Uh, another way of, of putting that is is just being present to what is. Yeah. And so without without trying to force it into something different just acknowledge what is in this moment yeah and there's incredible peace and incredible freedom uh, that comes from that and i think that is a lot easier said than actually done yes if you go to try this and you say okay i just want to show up to what is right now i'm feeling upset because this happened so and so said this to me at work or whatever but 
I'm here at my office, sitting in front of my computer. You know, you try to just show up to what is. And the minute you try to start doing that, you will see your brain judging everything. Yes. Well, but this is bad, but this is bad, but this, you need to fix this. You need to change that. I remember working with a counselor who tried to help me with this. And he says, you know, you're very judgmental. And I was really shocked because I felt like, no, I am a grace-centered Christian. And I, I always try to accept people as they are. And he didn't mean that. What he meant is I'm constantly evaluating my circumstances and labeling things mm. right and wrong, good and bad. And he was right because everything that I would tell him and when I tell him a story, I would just kind of be labeling everything in the story. Well, you know, this happened and that was too bad, but this happened and that was good. Here's, here's an easy way to, to try this for our listeners. Uh, some of you might be listening in your car right now, so this will be perfect for you. When you get stopped at a red light, just accept it. <laughs> I mean, think about that. Just, you know, like this is a huge one for me. How many times do I judge hitting the light red as negative. Yes. Probably about 99% of the time for me. Right. <laughs> you know, like I, I want to get moving. Sitting at a red light is not my idea of a good time. It's a waste of time. Um, but Rick, you know, the other day where, as I was coming at it from a different angle, I was having it in conversation, driving my youngest daughter to school. We were having a conversation and we got stuck in some construction that they're doing on the road yep. uh, on our way to school. And so I was sitting there probably five minutes in the construction traffic. And instead of labeling it as bad and, oh, now she's going to be late for school, I just said, I've got more time for this conversation. Mm, and we kept talking. That's powerful. And so it was a completely different experience Yeah, because of how I approached and accepted yeah. the reality. Yep. Because otherwise you get in that monkey mindness and you start awfulizing everything and one thought leads to the next and I'm going to be late in the school and the da 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 and stupid construction. And <laughs> it's amazing how our thoughts and emotions can just run away like a runaway train with yeah. no brakes and just out of control. And of course, that ultimately leads in a crash. And that's what happens to us emotionally. But Rick, what else? can we do to show up? Well, when you show up, I think the second thing that you have to do, because showing up isn't going to help unless you combine it with practicing self-compassion. Mm. And this is huge because we all know that we want compassion from others. And most of us, I think, would agree we would want to be a compassionate person. We'd take it as a compliment if someone said, oh, you know, you're very compassionate. And that means a lot to me. But what we forget is self-compassion. And I don't think you can have true compassion for others, true compassion for life, unless you can develop some self-compassion. And this is just a life-changing, life-changing discipline. So when you're at the red light, like you said, Will, or in construction, a little compassion, a new way of looking at it, instead of, oh, I'm going to be late in this dumb construction worker and all these kind of things. Nope, this moment's okay. I'm okay. If, if it's a negative comment, like we said, somebody says something bad about you at work. Now, self-compassion. I'm going to look at this, what actually exists. I'm going to accept this was said, but it's okay. I'm not perfect, and that's okay. 
I can have some compassion on myself. Maybe I'm not handling something well. Maybe I'm in my office crying. I can still bring self-compassion to that instead of adding to my problem by piling on guilt and shame and why are you doing this and you're not good enough and see, they finally found you out or all these negative thoughts that can come rushing to the surface. Yeah, I think it's so important with things like when we're dealing with failure, you know, a sense of failure, you know, to use another golf uh, analogy. I, I like to play the game of golf and I've noticed when I talk to myself compassionately, I play better. Surprise, mm. surprise. Yeah. 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 And so how do I talk to myself after I hit that bad shot? Yeah. And that's an analogy for how do I talk to myself when I stumble at work? How do I talk to myself when I feel like I've failed at home in some in some way? And the self-compassion. And how do I talk to myself when I've just been through it? Mm. You know, when you when you think of what we've all been through these last couple of years, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, if I'm feeling sad or tired or just self-compassion. Yes. What have I been through? Why Absolutely. am I feeling this way? It's okay that I'm that I'm where I am. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that goes hand in hand with the third unhook that she puts, naming your emotions. Yes. Naming your emotions because you have to label them, name them, see them, accept them. That's part of the self-compassion. Accept those emotions. You know what? I'm really feeling anger here. I'm really feeling a loss. I'm feeling like I want to cry, a sadness, a a mourning. I'm feeling insecure. I'm feeling shame. I, I think I really blew it. Why does naming them give so much power, Will? When we name the emotion then we have then we can learn from it and we we have a more accurate view of where we are on the map yes so back to the map analogy you know one of the great things about using a phone gps on your smartphone is that you have that blue dot that shows where you are if you don't know where you are right you can't get anywhere <laughs> a map is and, useless and so naming your emotion is like having the blue dot you yeah. know where you are now you can go somewhere. And and one of the things we're up against is there's a tremendous amount of emotional illiteracy in our modern culture. Uh, in fact, they've done studies and surveys, and most people can only name three emotions. Yeah. That's it. And I remember, Rick, when I had to admit this about myself, hmm. and I realized, man, I'm emotionally illiterate. I don't, I don't know how to name my emotions. I don't even know what they all are. Yeah. And so I went and Google searched, you know, list of emotions and uh, and downloaded a document to put on my computer so I could yeah. I could familiarize myself with that. And uh, and if those of you are want to go farther with this, first of all I say, you know, Google a list. There's some great ones on the internet. Yep. Um, but I just read a read a book called Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown. Yes. Great book describing 84 emotions wow so that you can really understand what they all mean what they're about very very helpful for emotional literacy and i love that will and i'm glad you brought up uh, the 84 emotions because when you start to pay attention the value is each of these emotions is trying to tell you something yes I remember hearing a speaker say it's like a road sign. The road sign isn't the reality. It's telling you about a different reality. 
The yes. road sign is telling you there's a bump ahead, but the sign is not the bump. And the point is, these emotions are trying to tell you something, trying to give you information about your journey that can be really valuable. But if you just get caught up in the emotion, then you don't get the actual value. You don't get the information. And that leads, Rick, perfectly to the fourth one, which is journaling, because yes. this is a way to name our emotions. Yeah. You sit down, pen and paper, or if you want to do it on a computer, you get it out. Yeah. And you say, you know, I'm feeling this. And, and here's the thing. When you're naming emotions, don't forget to name the positive ones. Sure. You know, like I'm feeling kind of sad and some loss, but I'm also very grateful because I've got this and this and this that's going on in my life that's that's good. Yeah. And, and so you can kind of put it all out there. Look yeah. at the whole picture. And, and so often when we get caught in those hooks we talked about earlier, it's only the negative emotions we get caught with, you know, we get stuck on. I think one of the reasons counseling is so effective is it's kind of like verbal journaling. <laughs> yes. You don't actually know what you feel a lot of times. You just have all these feelings swimming around, and maybe if you're very busy, you just haven't had time to stop and process these things. So that's where this journaling is so effective, because you stop and you say, okay, what am I feeling? What's going on? And it prevents that emotional leakage that she talks about when you bottle up and when you keep it in. It prevents a lot of these hooks from getting caught in there because now you're processing it. Now you're pausing and you're trying to figure out what am I actually feeling? What am I, what, what is my body? What is my heart? What is my mind trying to tell me here about life? Because because I'm not even sure. There's just so many things kind of swimming around in there. Journaling can be really helpful to bring clarity to that. And it's a great way to, to kind of let it go as well. You yes. Know? So we don't get stuck in it. We write it out and say, okay, I've acknowledged it. I felt it. I can, I can let it go. Yeah. I know what it's trying to tell me. Yeah. And, and that really leads us to the, the final practice, which is mindfulness. And mindfulness is such a great way to unhook by showing up because it gives us choices. And it goes back to what we were talking about last week. This is, if, if our listeners get nothing else out of these last two sessions, don't forget that a thought is just a thought. Amen. It is just a thought. It's not reality. It's not the facts. Yeah. It's a thought. And the more you can get space yes. between your thought and your feeling and, and you'll kind of step back and say, all right, I'm having this thought, but what's real? What's yes. true? Yes. You know, and is that thought more coming out of a feeling than reality? Yeah. There's this famous quote uh, attributed to Viktor Frankl that paraphrasing says, there's an infinite space between stimulus and response. Mm. That space is the mindfulness. Yes. If you don't have mindfulness, then you didn't know there was an infinite space. You just go from stimulus to response and something happens and you react. Something happens, you react. And if you build your whole life just reacting, you, you're going to stumble and crash and, and have a lot of unnecessary bumps, bruises, scrapes, uh, all sorts of emotional injuries 
But when you can learn that the thought is just a thought and that can be brought into this infinite space between the stimulus and the response, and, and now that, you can be intentional. That pause, that pause between stimulus and response allows us to become the person we want to be in this yes. world. And when I'm honest with myself, I see that usually the worst comes out of me when there's no pause at all. <laughs> For you sure. Know, so someone pushes a button, says something, and boom, you know, some negative retort comes out of me that's just so fast, like yeah. instantaneous. Yeah. And I instantly regret it and I'm like, ah, oh, that wasn't that wasn't who I wanted to be. Yeah. And so the mindfulness just slows things down, gives us that little bit of space where we can make a choice in that moment rather than being condemned to react as we always do. Right. And that's why this is really at the heart of everything we're saying for mental fitness and emotional fitness. Just taking that space, being aware of that space, using that space to come in touch with our own feelings, our own emotions, process them in these healthy ways, bringing the self-compassion in, clarifying what's going on. And this allows you now to live in harmony with your values. Now, let me say one thing we're not saying by all this. It doesn't mean that you will ever, you will never say anything that is forceful or have to set a forceful boundary or have to kind of put somebody in their place or something like that, there are times where you do have to really draw a strict boundary. There are times where you really need to have a hard conversation with someone in order to protect yourself or your family or to live in harmony with your values. But you can do that better <laughs> when you put in that space and do it intentionally and yes. know what the, the healthy boundary is instead of just going off to war with someone and having the carnage that comes from war. And this is really a perfect place for us to, to wrap up this episode is that mindfulness really is the space to live in yes. to practice all of these principles. Yeah. And if we're just paying attention, if we slow it down a little bit before we instantly react, if we step back and see the thoughts for what they are, the emotion for what it is, it gives us tremendous freedom to be who we want to be in the world. So once again, let me just greatly recommend this book, Emotional Agility by Susan David. Yes. It's an easy read. It's a great read. It's, it's, a, it's a good one to have in your library um, if you have any interest at all in this topic of emotional fitness. Absolutely. And now next week, we're going to talk about professional fitness. Mm. Uh, how do you be the best you can be at work? And, and how do you do that even if you don't like your job? Is yes. that even possible? So if you're interested in that topic, tune in uh, next week for our next episode as we talk more about professional fitness. Thank you, Will. It's been good to talk about this emotional agility today. I look forward to next episode. But for now, you have been listening to Best Thoughts with Dr. Will Johns and me, Dr. Rick Johns. We look forward to being with you again next week. Mm -hmm.